I've been asked to share a little bit about um, my life, but I'm really talking more about my life's journey than I am my testimony. Um, In Proverbs uh, 2, I've been working through and praying through for a couple of years, and... uh, but my life's verse is actually in James, book of James. Um, oddly enough, huh, Jim? Yeah, and I just want to read it. I thought it was a good place to start. Uh, James chapter 1 starts in 22. It says, don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. Those who listen to the word but don't do what it says are like people who look at their faces in the mirror and after looking at themselves, go away and immediately forget what they look like. But those who look into the, who look intently into the perfect law that gives freedom, this law, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, will be blessed in what they do. I think that's a wonderful passage of scripture. And so much of James is about wisdom and collecting wisdom. Proverbs is about crying out loud for it. And I always find it interesting, the one that trips me up in, uh, Proverbs is that if, 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 if you look for it as hidden treasure, if you cry out loud, if, then you'll understand the fear of the Lord and find the wisdom or the knowledge of God. Seems like an awful lot to expect from prayers, but nevertheless, um, it's one of my favorite passages in James, and it ties nicely into Proverbs. First off, I just want to say thank you to you. Uh, As men of new life, I just want to say thank you to you for your investment in time and energy and doing what the Word says we're to do. There's the Great Commission and the Great Commandment, um, and we're supposed to, all of us, are supposed to be busy about both. So thank you for your time and energy and investment. Russell, thank you Um, for what I know has been just an enormous amount of time and energy put into this while you're trying to do a day job at the same time. Um, But I can't imagine something more important than what we're currently doing, and that's understanding our role as men from a biblical standpoint. Um, My thanks to Garvin. I don't see Garvin just now, but my thanks to him anyway for shepherding a few of us through this to get something going to really get men into a position where they can connect. We talk about worship, connect, and serve a lot at New Life. This is all about connecting. And if you can connect here or in other places around, the hope is that you can relate or develop or lead somewhere along your journey. And my thanks to Pastor Brady, who uh, I think really had the vision and the passion to get this thing going as we call it men's ministry. I, I like ministry as a verb more than I like it as a noun, but we call it men's ministry. We'll use it as a noun. Um, but my thanks to Pastor Brady for making sure that there's some real activity. People are really connecting in a very real way. Um, so I just want to say thanks to, to those folks to start with. So tonight, I just want to ask for your indulgence a little bit. I want to go through something that for me, and perhaps for you, is somewhat elementary. I call it disciple shaping. Because all of us are in the process of being shaped. I don't care what age or stage we are in life, we're all in the process of shaping into an image of Christ. It's a lifelong lesson. It really is. And I think if you look at the uh, piece up there, I like to talk about this as appreciating the life-on-life, lifelong process 
Um, I got these new glasses, so when I look down, it's blurry. It's kind of like having vertigo when I'm, when I'm diving. It's like, what happened here? Salt water and fresh water. But uh, appreciating um, the lifelong, lifelong, or life on life, lifelong process for living the full life that God intended for us. And it doesn't just happen. It's like anything else. It takes work. You need to be devoted to it, and you have to have a desire for it. Um, Russell asked me once to, to talk to the group about how to remove obstacles to actually being a disciple shaper. And I thought to myself, that sounded like plural obstacles. And my thought was, there's really only one, and it's you. It's me. We either prioritize this or we don't. So um, my own disciple shaping process started when I was 24 years old. Um, I was looking at a lot of major decisions in my own life. Um, there was a man named Hugh Johnson that came into my life through a set of circumstances that were actually quite bizarre from my standpoint. I remember talking to my pastor early on about this, and he said, wow, that's really interesting. Let's go sit here in the yard, not come in my house. Okay. Um, but through a friend of a friend, I met a guy named Hugh Johnson. I'll never forget him for as long as I live. And he's still alive, and he's still disciples shaping other people. That man invested 28 months in me. Every Friday for lunch, whether we met in a park or Wendy's or someplace else, over lunch, we systematically got started on what the Bible was trying to tell us. Now, I grew up working my way through Christian schools. I went through uh, a Christian college. And still, I was wrestling with some pretty bizarre things. Now, in full disclosure, uh, I graduated from Calvin College, uh, Reformed um, College in Grand Rapids, Michigan. So for those of you who are already going to Reformed Town, is this the Charismatic Church? Yes, and there was a stopover in the Baptist Church for a while. I still think God smiles and winks as he pats me on the head and says, get into the rest of the world and make disciples. It's been an interesting journey for me. I've seen a lot of theology. I've seen a lot of theologians. I spent 22 years with a publisher called Zondervan, a clunky little Dutch name that, by the way, means no name. And I learned to love pastors and local churches and felt God call me to serve, along with others, to help the church be the church. And I think one of the cornerstones of the church is to go make disciples. So that's really what we're talking about. That's how this happened. There's four pieces I want to cover, and i got to do them quickly. Jim uh, House told me that I had 90 minutes to do this. Uh, <laughs> I'll try not to, yeah. So anyway, four aspects. Uh, first one is what is a mentor? Two is qualifications of a mentor. Four, uh, three is uh, why be a mentor? And four, which is where we'll spend most of our time, is how to. Okay? It's, again, for some of us, it's a pretty simple thing. But I don't know where you are in your age and stage of life, but Matthew 28, 19 is the Great Commission. Go make disciples. You don't have to go to every nation. You can go to your backyard. You can do it at your place of work. But essentially, he's calling us all to go make disciples. Now, that doesn't start by just walking out and finding somebody to put your arm around and start to teach. You've got to learn first. So I think ultimately, as men... 
followers of Christ, as we like to call ourselves, each are given various gifts. We look in uh, Corinthians, we, we look in Romans, and we see the giftings that we have as individuals. Some are spiritual, and there are issues relating to um, things like knowledge and faith and healing and miraculous powers. Others look more like gifts, humble, by the way, humble gifts to serve the church, administration, leadership, encouragement. All of us have been given a gift. I don't know how many of us know what our gift is. Generally speaking, when we work with a church of this size, you'll put out a gift assessment. If you asked people, if you asked 10 people, what's your spiritual gift or what's your gift set, 8 out of 10 would not know. These are adults. 8 out of 10 would not know their spiritual gifting. That makes it hard to be a mentor. It makes it hard to really speak into the lives of others if you aren't exercising and leveraging your own gifts. You need to know. So I'd encourage you, if you don't already, to do so. Outside of the gifts as men, we also have certain roles that we play. I'm a husband to Trudy for 29 years. I'm a father to Justin and Sheena. I'm a father-in-law to Mark. I'm a friend. I'm a business leader. Um, I play a lot of different roles. And I'd like to think um, I play them well. I can't play too many of them well. I'm just not that smart. But the ones I know I have to play and the ones I concentrate on are the ones that I really work to play well. And we all have roles and gifts that we have to understand and really get squared away in our own mind before we just willy-nilly start serving others. I think, too, that um, when we talk about the great commandment to love others as we love ourselves, but also um, I think the great commission and the great commandment are the two things that we're going to be focused on on a lifelong basis. What I want to talk about tonight is mentoring. So let's start with uh, what is a mentor. This will be quick. I looked it up at Webster's um, because sometimes I think we make more of a mentor than they really are. Uh, A wise and trusted friend, a counselor, a teacher, an advisor. I like this influential senior sponsor. I can't wait till I get my AARP card and go to dinner early. I'm pretty close. Um, But, you know, if you look at Psalms, we all know the Psalms about, um, for lack of counsel, plans fail. But the counsel of many, plans succeed. And I don't know about you um, and how you feel you stack up in terms of being a mentor, but let's talk a little bit about the qualifications of uh, of a mentor. I think, and by the way, this is not designed to be an exhaustive list because I don't have time for an exhausted list, but a follower of Christ is a pretty good place to start, don't you think? But what is a follower of Christ? I don't know about you. Um, I've been in the Christian world a long time, uh, kind of in a professional way, work with pastors and people all over the place. Um, and, and one of the guys that I've uh, enjoyed recently is a young man named Francis Chan. Uh, we did a little project with him called Follow Me, which is about what a follower of Christ is. He makes a couple of interesting points. He said, Jesus follow me, or Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. That's kind of where he started with guys. Last thing he said before he left them is go make disciples. Okay? So in the interest of James, are we doing what it says? 
Jesus invested his life in showing the disciples how to make other disciples. Who's investing in yours? Now, he said, go and do the same thing. And so, are we? I think those of us here are are doing exactly that. But how many are sitting in pews that, that aren't yet doing that? We heard it, but we haven't done it. It's one of the reasons I like James as much as I do. Hear it, read it, but do it. And so it's a little bit like, you know, I used to tell my daughter to clean her room. Okay? So she'd walk into her room, and uh, she'd come back out, and I'd ask if the room was clean. Nope. But I know what you told me. In fact, I could recite it. You told me exactly. Um, And then uh, Francis goes on to talk about how he could ask his daughter to clean his room, and she could come back out and recite it back to him in Greek. She knows how to say, go clean your room in Greek. But she didn't clean her room. It doesn't work. Remember when we were kids, we'd play that silly game, follow the leader? So somebody would raise their hand, you'd raise your hand. they do this, you do that. Can you imagine sitting in a chair saying, yeah, well, I'm doing that in my heart. I'm following you. But I'm not really doing it. And I think there's a lot of us in the church today, fortunately not here tonight, but a lot of us in the church today that just need a little encouragement to get out of their seat and to do some of these things. So I think the other one is, uh, who knows the Bible uh, as God's Word? Because you know what? If, if you don't know the Bible, it's hard to take God at His Word if you don't know what His Word says. Now, that sounds a little simple too, I know, but if you're going to take God at His Word, you have to know what it says. And I think there are numerous examples in Scripture about the apostles who devoted themselves to Jesus' teachings, um, We all know this to be true. So we're all off trying to get that done. But I also think that um, ultimately, we need to do this not out of duty or discipline. Sometimes I have to exercise a little discipline to make sure I'm in the Word. But it should be a natural flow in our life. That we're sitting around with other folks, talking and studying the Scriptures. I'm fortunate enough to be part of a men's small group, and that's exactly what we're doing. We sit around and we're studying the Scriptures. We're re- literally reading out of the book of James. That's what we do. And it's, it's a great time for all of us. Um, reading Scripture to someone, if you're a mentor, if you're a disciple shaping someone, read Scripture to them. Let them see how central it is to you in your life. Oftentimes, we all have opinions. If we ask several questions, we get lots of different opinions here. But at the end of the day, your opinions don't rule. Scripture does. So when people are, are putting life's issues in front of them, most of them serious life issues in front of you, anytime you can use Scripture to answer the question, it's just a good idea. But you've got to know Scripture. You don't have to know it forwards and backwards because you're developing a relationship with these people too. But um, Scripture is, and knowing Scripture is important. Now, the other thing is somebody, to, to be somebody who is themselves being mentored. I know a lot of folks uh, over the years who were mentoring other people, but they themselves weren't in a mentoring relationship at all. Some had never been. But they just liked the idea of teaching others. I'm not sure that's a good idea. You may have a different opinion about that. But I think if you're going to be mentoring people, you should be mentored yourself. I think there's an accountability, there's a growth issue, there's a lot of different reasons I could go on about that. 
you also need to be a good listener. This is simple, right? James tells us everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak, but basically we're quick to speak and slow to listen. As Even when we ask questions of people, we're listening to them as we formulate our answer. Um, and oftentimes, we don't do a very good job of listening. You know, in uh, uh, Stephen Covey in Seven Habits of Highly Effective People talks about how seek first to understand, then be understood. And he gives us some practical skills about saying, okay, let me make sure I heard you right. And then you repeat what you think you heard until someone says back to you, yeah, that's right. So if I heard you right, what you said was blah, 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 blah. Did I get that right? Did I hear you right? I don't know about you, but that's a tough skill to practice. I'm just, I'm just ready to start dispensing wisdom. But I think it's important. Because it's not about you, it's about them. And they need to know that you've heard them. And I think you need to be willing to share personal experiences that are relevant to their needs. We'll talk a little bit about discretion in a minute. But remember, sharing is an important part of deepening the relationship. It authenticates a real relationship and a friendship. Sometimes as leaders, we don't like to let our guards down. We got junk in the trunk like other people have junk in the trunk, but we don't like to talk about our junk in the trunk. We'll talk about yours. And you got to be careful. You got to find the right balance. But we all got stuff, and we all know it. And authenticity and honesty are part of being a good disciple shaper. But you got to be careful because some of what you say can hurt you. So you've got to use some discretion. But I think, too, that let's talk a little bit about why be a mentor. I think this is simple enough in the sense that I think if, if we in this room started connecting with people who could mentor us and we were connecting with other people that we could mentor, we would almost immediately create a stronger, more vibrant New Life Church. I just think that's a fundamental, foundational principle of what makes a strong church a strong church. I've been in Christian publishing for a lot of years. I've seen a lot of people talk about growth strategies for churches. At the end of the day, you have to have some intentionality to growing and developing people. If you don't have that, I don't care what else you have. You typically don't have a vibrant church. So what we're talking about doing here as a church is one of the more important things we can do as a church. We'd be filled with men who knew their biblical responsibility, not just as a mentor, but as a husband and as a father, as a son, as a friend. This is so impactful. We could, we could unpack this if we were writing a book. This would be a chapter or two. But Romans says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And it goes on to say, then you, oh, and by the way, those you are mentoring, then you and those who you are mentoring will be able to test and approve what God's will is. We're building the body by renewing the mind. We get blessed along the way. Those of us who get an opportunity to teach, whether they're kindergartners or college-aged um, adults, those who teach learn the most. Um, and they're blessed the most. I really believe that. And so I think that there's lots of reasons to be a mentor. I think if, uh, if you go back to Proverbs uh, 15, 22, and 23, 
talks about the plans that fail um, for lack of counsel. But 23 says, a person finds joy in giving an apt reply. You already know this, don't you? When you're working and mentoring and helping other people grow, work through their life issues, there's real joy and satisfaction in having done that. And I think when you get in the natural flow of doing that, it's just something you keep doing because there are very few things that give you that kind of satisfaction. You know what I mean? Ephesians uh, 4.6. I read this from the message because I think it talks a little bit about the church. Uh, and this is Paul speaking. He says, You were all called to travel on the same road and in the same direction, so stay together, both outwardly and inwardly. You have one master, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who rules over all, works through all, and is present in all. Everything you do and think is permeated with oneness. But, it goes on to say, that doesn't mean you should all look and speak and act the same. Out of generosity, Christ, uh, out of the generosity of Christ, each of us, has been given his own gifts. And I would add to that, we've been given each our own unique experiences, which has equipped us to serve the body, to build up the body. So, uh, lastly, let's talk uh, quickly about how to be a mentor. I, I think this is some of, some of this you obviously already know, but it bears repeating. I think, first of all, we got to pay attention to the people around us. I still remember one of my early conversations with Brady about the people that are speaking into our lives and the people whose lives we're speaking into are really already in the stream of life. We, we may think there's somebody we got to go rescue, but they're probably already around us. They know us and we know them. Not always, but most of the time. Pay attention to the people in your stream of life. In some ways, I think we're all pastors. And if you remember, uh, Eugene Peterson wrote a book called The Pastor. Um, and he defined pastor as someone who is placed in the community to pay attention and call attention to what is going on between men and women with one another and with God. If we would just pay attention to what's going on between people, men and women, each other and God, I, I think we'd find all kinds of people who are needy in a good way people we can help in a good way if we just pay attention. So uh, we talked about discretion a little while ago, but I think it's very, very important. We, we talk about this in small groups. We talk about this when we get together in other places. We just say, look, discretion is important here. If, if we're going to get real with each other, if we're going to develop a real relationship, a meaningful relationship where we can work with one another, we have to be honest. We need to use candor, but we need to understand discretion. Deepen the relationship. Loyalty, when you work for somebody, you owe them. Respect, you have to earn. And, and earning respect is not an easy thing to do in this day and age. But through deepening the relationship, I think you can earn trust and respect for each other. The other thing that I've always been thrilled with, and I learned this from my very first 
person who mentored me at 24 was, he, he said to me, you know what, I am just so thrilled and proud to be on this leg of the journey with you. Which right away, by the way, made me realize he was not my lifelong friend. I wasn't going to hang out with him forever. And a lot of people that you pick up and work with in disciple shaping, you may know them for the rest of your lives, but you may not spend this kind of concentrated time with them because someone else may need to come in. And you'll, you've seen this. People come and go in terms of their intensity and time that you invest in them. And so by saying to them that you're just honored to be on this leg of the journey with them sets a level of expectation early on that we're here to do something specific. But we're, this may not be a lifelong thing that we get together on Fridays for lunch. For me, it was 22 months, but that's just because I'm a little slow. And then, uh, Brady touched on this Sunday, but uh, the issue of asking good questions. I've got board members, and some of the best board members I have are those who ask the best questions. They're not really, they're, they're not really ready to dispense all kind of wisdom to me as the leader of an organization, but they're asking probing questions. Ask simple questions, you get simple answers. Ask profound questions, you might get profound answers. And I think one of the keys to this is how to ask good questions. Help people to think critically on their own. The younger they are, the more important this is. Ask anybody who's dealing with college entrance exams. Be a reader. Um, I was just sharing the other night about reading lots of books, and I had this aunt. She was my great aunt. Her name was Susie. I picked her up when I was 21 in my jacked-up Mustang, 1967 Mustang with the big Krager wheels and the Mickey Thompson tires and the Hearst four-speed. It was a great little vehicle. But I pull up to the, to the uh, retirement home, and my aunt walks out, gets in my car, and off we go. And I said, hey, by the way, I just thought I'd let you know, I got this job with Zondervan, the clunky Dutch name, and um, I, this is really going to be good because they're a publisher. It's a Christian thing. I thought she'd be thrilled because she all my life was telling me, you know, Bible's the most important thing. She says to me, Chris, you're going to read a lot of books. Just be sure you don't read any more books than you read the book. I thought that was pretty good. I didn't write it down, but it's still with me. I'm not sure how good I'm doing on it because I used to read about 30 books a year and then I had to do all kinds of other things, but that's kind of the business I'm in. But it forces me into the Scripture a lot more than I think I would have otherwise gotten there because essentially what I get are a lot of, a a lot of other people's opinions about what the Scripture is saying. And I think what God wants is to help us put people that we're disciple-shaping in the path of the divine and let the Word speak for us. I think that's a critical piece. Um, and then a couple last points quickly. Uh, to build their confidence to know God and to hear from God. This is a tricky one. But it's something I think we have to help people do on a very regular basis. We're not all equipped to do this, I'm, I'm afraid. But I think it's really important. If you can help people bolster their confidence about knowing God and hearing God, you have set them on a path that will last them the rest of their life. And we're back to Proverbs 2, 1 through 9. Um, 
most of the people I've ever worked with and had the pleasure of getting to know, uh, we would pray this together. It was part of what we did to say, look, if we're coming together for some express purposes, which we defined up front, here's, here's what we need to be praying for and with each other. Proverbs 1-9, through insight, understanding, and wisdom. Um, I don't know how many of you use a journal. I'm a journaler. I was told a long time ago that I really needed to take the time to journal because I kept a pace at which, without reflection, I'd go off a cliff. Of course, I thought that was a really good idea. I just didn't have time for it, which was the point, of course. So I started young. I gave it up for a little while, but I'm still at it. And it really does help me. I trust that it helps you. If it's something you're not doing, may I encourage you to do so, particularly if you're going to come alongside of people because you won't remember the things that are important to them. And when you write it down, you will remember. They'll know you remembered, even if you wrote it down, and it will be impressive and appreciated from them. And then lastly, always leave them with a word of encouragement. Before you leave, if you close in prayer, before you close in prayer, or after you close in prayer, I used to call it the Columbo factor. Remember, anybody ever watch that show Columbo? Because he'd be just about out the door and he'd go, oh, by the way, by the way, um, one of the last things I think which is just good practice is to give them a word of encouragement. Whatever it is has to be authentic. But just encourage them. So when they walk away, because you can have some pretty difficult conversations if you're going to be honest and you're sharing Scripture, sometimes candor cuts. And, and you don't want to leave somebody bleeding at a breakfast table. Always find a word of encouragement for them. I told you it was simple. I trust it was. Thank you. Wasn't that good? That's, uh, <clears throat> you know, I asked Chris to share tonight because I had a sense of where he was going, but um, more importantly uh, than maybe what he says is who he is and how he's modeled this. Um, I, I can stand here tonight three, four years into relationship with Chris, that everything that he shared tonight, he is living faithfully, and he's playing it out in the guys like me. And uh, there is something in his modeling and his disciple shaping of me that has a way how it carries on to uh, the next generation of uh, young men. And, you know, that's really what we're wanting to do here. Uh, is Chris perfect? Uh, yes. No. Uh, <laughs> You know, it, it, it's not that. Uh, it's it's something that we're we're learning as we go. And the thing about all of that—that's kind of the brass tacks of um, well, how does this work and what does it look like? But almost um, like begin with the end in mind. As Chris encouraged us to encourage as a final time, it starts because you care about somebody else. This whole thing starts because you're in the middle of a journey. And you've got questions, which is why you're here. But some of you have 
maybe discovered some answers along the way. And, and there are some guys that are still asking some of those questions. And so it just starts with a simple asking the questions. And uh, I believe there, there is and will be uh, divine appointments just to connect with one another. Uh, and that's really what the purpose is. This, this is the atmosphere, as we've talked about. This is the place where this happens for new life. But really the real power and punch of the net is what happens outside of the net. Uh, last time we met, Wednesday, uh, two weeks ago, I woke up at 4.30 in the morning. Uh, normally I'm drained after, uh, you know, these evenings and I was just fired up and it was just, just with the idea of, of what, what we're already talking about going on a hike. Um, there's lots of different ways. This isn't just the net. And so, you know, what, what are the places that we can go, men of new life, uh, for just places that guys can connect, whether it's a cock, coffee shop or grilling out the backyard or going on a hike, you know, in uh, a week from Friday, uh, finding what works for you in natural circles, streams and rhythms of life for you guys to be able to connect. I'd like to just leave you with one idea and it's the pendulum where probably many of you guys are is somewhere on this pendulum and very few of us often find ourselves in the middle ground of just a focused life in this area. One side of it is a group of men that are here tonight that just says, man, I'm in, whatever, where do I sign up? This sounds great. Chris, you know, this is wonderful. Where do I go? But you don't know anyone. And so you're here hoping you can find somebody because maybe you've never been discipled and you want to be. And, and I would just encourage you to be patient. And oftentimes somebody jumps into something and something Chris alluded to is the issue of discretion confidentiality, building trust, taking time with that, uh, somewhere along the way you were maybe right here and you got burned and you come over here where you're just like, you make an inner vow that just says, uh-uh, <laughs> I know that's right, but I'm not doing that again. And so you just kind of shore up and maybe I'm just going to focus on my kids or, you know, and I'm going to disciple them, but just reaching out beyond that. And I just... Wherever you are on that pendulum, and some guys are just right, right on line with it. But just like to encourage you, what is the barrier that's keeping you from doing maybe the most important thing that we're called to do is to fulfill the great commission, the great commandment, and hit it right down the middle. So be patient, and then whatever it takes just to heal, to step back into a significant relationship with uh, older and younger men. So... Thanks, guys. I hope this was good. Let me pray for us, and then we'll break into our groups. Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you, Lord, that you are the ultimate um, disciple shaper, and that uh, everywhere we look, every story, every um, every teaching, you are modeling something. You're leading us through the Scriptures in a way that we can uh, just literally uh, see play out in our lives in the most practical ways every day. I pray, God, that you would raise up a generation of spiritual fathers, raise up a generation of men who would disciple other men, and um, that there would just be a strengthening of the net of New Life churches as we uh, are caught, and then we uh, become a, a group of men that cast the net, that the net would be strengthened, that we would all learn what it is to be fishers of men. 
And I just pray your blessings on these guys. Thank you for their faithfulness and who they are. Encourage them tonight and equip them as we gather in groups. We love you. In Jesus' name.